Welcome to the New Models Podcast. In this episode, we bring you a green room conversation with creative director Katarina Korbjörn, who discusses her new project, Paradigm Trilogy, a three-issue online magazine combining glossy editorial shoots with ready-to-wear media theory a la the New Models expanded universe. We discuss a disrupted fashion industry that is both in flux and risk adverse, transmuting the medium of magazines to the internet, mood board swipe, AI, and the state of being a working creative today. Recorded from a retreat in small town Poland, I'm Lil Internet with New Models co-hosts Carly Busta and Daniel Keller, and we're joined remotely by Katarina Korbjörn of Paradigm Trilogy. Let's get into it. Green Room, a New Models podcast. Okay, so today we are in Poland, but we're speaking with Katarina Korbjörn, who just launched Paradigm Trilogy, which is a new magazine in distributed form. And so because the focus of it is so very much aligned with many of the things we think about here, we immediately said, okay, Kat, we'd love to hear like the who, what, where, when, why of Paradigm Trilogy. So maybe we could just start by you introducing the magazine, if that's what you want to call it. Yes, thank you for having me. I like to call it publication because I feel like magazine lends itself to like something that goes on forever. Yeah. I wanted to create a trilogy which was sort of had an end inside and was around a specific topic. And in that sense, I wanted to use the fashion industry as a vehicle to sort of speak about bigger cultural theories. And therefore, like reaching a bigger audience. Can you give us a little bit of background about yourself, your team? What scene is Paradigm Trilogy coming out of and who do you imagine it speaking to specifically? So I'm a creative director. I work for companies like Todd's, the Italian shoemaker, or like Schiaparelli, the French couture house, but also things like Amazon. And I started the magazine because I kind of saw a double standard in the industry with a lot of my peers that were creating marketing campaigns that were all about inclusivity and community, but they were not applying this to their own work, which they were still very territorial about, and they were very protective of their own ideas. So I just saw that the fashion industry didn't adapt yet to kind of the new rules of Web 3.0 and a lot of things that you guys are talking about. So I wanted to address that. And then the second reason why I started the magazine is I wanted to take on the challenge to create a mobile first platform of a magazine. There's things like Substack that work really well for long form journalism that create like this platform for writers, but we still don't see this with like visuals. So I wanted to create something that felt playful and was using the UX design as an aesthetic. So the first issue is all centered about New York. So the entire cast is New York talent from Kay Kasperhauser, who's a genius writer, to the photographer Richie Tallboy, who shot the first two editorials, and Rebecca Campbell, who did a love letter to New York that features all creatives across board. People like Daniel Arnold, the photographer, Irina Rissi, Nick Sethi, the whole crowd. And the idea behind that editorial, for example, was to feature the New York creative scene, but also have them wear all New York creative brands. 
Yeah, I love how it's de-virtualized. I mean, I think a lot of the, um, the communities that have popped up in the last couple of years, as you note, are text first or um, digital first, so maybe they're anonymized somehow. And the fact that you do de-virtualize this network in an analog way where you put faces and names and words together. And of course, fashion also needs bodies, right? There's no, I mean, yes, there's digital fashion and you know skins for your like avatars or whatever, but we're still humans that walk around. We still do buy and wear clothes. We still do read each other's signs. So it felt almost like shocking to see that. I mean, of course, there's still fashion magazines, but to see it reminded me of the 90s magazines where you'd have like the purple office, like, and they would just be sitting on the sidewalk outside shooting each other, wearing whatever Margiela had just come in. That kind of a community I haven't seen in at least, I don't know, like seven, eight years, if not 20. Yeah, it was very uh, glocal. Glo- yeah, glocal, glocal. <laughs> um, and it's so satisfying for me to see almost these things Theories are being applied in real time. Like, for example, yesterday, Versace and Fendi did a show together with <laughs> where Kim Jones designed Donatella's collection. And that was kind of something that I had talked about where, like, the collaboration is actually over. Like, slapping on logos doesn't work anymore. So for me, it's all about this, like, actual real collaboration where people blend and create something entirely new. And that just happened yesterday. So I was really yeah. happy to see that. <laughs> So with that idea of collaboration, the collective subject is taking precedence over stacked individual identities. If you think about the 90s and the 2000s especially with, of course, like individual profiles, but now it seems like those individual brands are starting to come together to form molecules or there's some kind of, there's something else that's happening with the collective identity. How do you think about it? For sure. I think that's partially because they're forced to, but also it's just interesting to me how community is about giving up the self almost. I think we're entering a point or like, why do people still want to identify It's kind of like if everything's so fluid, why are we still interested in like flagging ourselves, being part of a certain community? I'd rather see us all be so fluid that we can be part of whatever we want. I mean, I adore new models. You kind of pulled me out of intellectual isolation and things like K-Hole to answer your question maybe a bit better. I do believe in community. I think that's a natural evolution that's going to happen in the fashion industry now because people are running out of money. Big corporations are not appealing to consumers in the way they used to. They need the fresh blood that comes from the creatives, the younger brands, so they will collaborate. But for now, that for me is just a a marketing flex or let's say something that they had to do. I think we will see the real change happening when these smaller brands grow up Mm. and sort of reign in a new era. I like to think that we're pre-80s again, kind of before big brands had IPOs. Like the 80s were like the time when a company like Todd's really from this little shoemaker grew to this large company. I think this can happen with the Telfas of the world and the Vaqueras. And I think that's when we really are going to see community as an actual real part of the industry and not just a marketing flex. I mean, when you look at like Shein again, I, can't, I keep thinking of Shein all the time now. That 
Chinese like mega fast fashion retailer that's mega cheap, rips off things super fast. But in a way, just because of the sheer monopolistic forces of online retail, it's like the kind of people who wear luxury brands like that might become like a thing. Like it's not so much like if you're a Gucci or Versace person, it's like, (laughs) no, those people buy fast fashion. I buy luxury. Essentially, they need to compete against like the fast fashion behemoth more than they need to compete against each other other right Mm -hmm. now. When I almost feel like there's a threat to the concept of value of luxury wear in the first place. So they do need to band together, if that makes sense, just to protect that gravity that luxury wear has in in the face of a of a tidal wave of fast fashion and silhouettes being ripped off for one to one hundredth of the price, et cetera. Yeah, we're at a breaking point here. And this is something that I'm thinking about a lot because in the 1920s, for example, when the first luxury brands were made, which was Chanel, Schiaparelli, people were thinking about like a legacy of 200 years from now. Mm. Now, when I look at a luxury brand, I'm thinking how many more years do we have? And so I think fashion, to hook on to what you were saying, has to live in shorter stints of strategy because we're looking at not so many years like so the actual affordable luxury which came up in the 2000s which killed the luxury industry because there's no such thing as affordable luxury is what you're talking about put them into the same circle as fast fashion Mm -hmm. because they had to apply the same mechanics to it which obviously didn't work but now they have to use the same mechanisms as fast fashion for another reason, which is the world coming to an end. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I was just realizing that it's been like, I think a full 10 years since Normcore now, which, and so I'm just wondering like what you described kind of felt like an updated version of Normcore of like a more fluid, but ability to slot into different subcultures and not have to identify solely with one tribe, but, but sort of, in the medium between tribes. So like, is there a term that describes this effect, the sort of post-norm, I don't want to call post-normcore, but normcore plus 10 years or something? Um, I like to talk about Instagram dysmorphia, but that's not what you're saying. I think it's accurate to say it's an update to the normcore situation because I think still the effect of like Steve Jobs um, is what we're seeing right now, which killed fashion in a way, his entire persona or maybe tech. I don't know. I don't know, to be honest, what that term is. We have to call K-Hole for that. (laughs) I'm sure they'd be willing to. Something that I also uh, was thinking about with the publication is kind of, I wanted to to have an aesthetic of thought, but not necessarily of graphic design or Mm -hmm. styling. I've been thinking a lot about like community identity formation and the thought that like aesthetic doesn't match your thinking. Mm. I find that really interesting. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, in when new models first started, there was a desire to have a stronger visual component. But the way that the community developed and the way that the platform developed, you know, we did a bit of Occam's Razor production, just like whatever is naturally coming up from the community ends up being the visual identity. And of course, I do miss the fact that there's not a lot of top-down visual identity direction. It's very much just like reaping what comes from the 
the community up. And so it was really nice to scroll through lots of spreads of really lush design or, I mean, it's basically, it's publication in deck form, right? You have this PDF, which is essentially a deck, which has um, writing, which is also keyed to deck attention. So headlines plus some subtext with links that link out to longer text, but you can pretty much scroll it in 30 minutes and you grasp it. Exactly. Short attention span. I wanted to package like deeper knowledge into a really short attention span. Yeah. Because I think that's where also a lot of like publications fail today, especially in the digital that we are just not ready to spend too much time on something. Totally Um, true. Yeah. And then how do you imagine the three issues of this publication living in even short-term perpetuity? Like, how do you imagine someone accessing these in, say, 2024? I'm going to put out like a Bible in the end that's going to be like a book, like your beautiful book, but super heavy with all of them together. I just want to keep them up online, accessible to everyone as the the platform that it is yeah um, cool and then maybe some some fossil relics of the <laughs> objects nice. that come out with each issue nice. like Louise Lawler <laughs> always has her matches I have a question also about the editorial you like list the references for the editorial and I don't think I've seen that before you kind of list them in the credits I mean was this kind of a, a nod or an acknowledgement of mood board swipe culture I wonder if the thought process behind including the references for the editorial uh, shoots. Yeah, I find it so obvious, like looking at fashion editorials, you always see kind of what these people have been looking at. So putting that into writing was just another measure to apply transparency to it all. Mm. But also I wanted this issue to feel very nostalgic and sort of referencing the past, which is like a sentiment that has been uh, occupying the fashion industry for a while. So mentioning the references was really important to me in that sense to capture this nostalgia. While in the next issue, it's going to be all about the strange, the unfamiliar, the hidden. Also referencing Joshua Citarella's Do Not Research, which I truly believe in, that we're like very post-research right now. Yeah. So that's going to be um, part of the next issue too. Just for instance, to give a visual for those listening, you have a part of this issue where there's kind of like a catalog styling in like an old, like, I don't know, J. Crew catalog or Delia's catalog. And then you shoot it so you see it printed in the deck scroll. So an acknowledgement of print media fashion of the 90s and aughts. Yeah, these were like various takes on how can a visual live in the digital and feel valuable. This whole editorial was basically a take on kitsch. So the issue came together by looking at Clement Greenberg's essay, Avant-Garde and Kitsch, where he says that the avant-garde, the elite, the cultural creators are only talking to themselves and what trickles down to mainstream is basically a distilled version that doesn't allow for a dialogue to happen. So the two editorials, one is looking at avant-garde with the Russian supermodel Sasha Pivovarova, and we wanted to create something that felt like the idea of future. And then the second is about kitsch, which only features like Banana Republic, Abercrombie and Fish. 
and mocks the idea of the American catalog with an Asian Mexican model. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess here is this question. It's a bit crass, but like, what's the business model for this? If you can say, because I think it's like no no such thing as a business model. Yeah, (laughs) right. right, That was like because my work um, in itself is usually very tends to be very commercial. I wanted to do something that had no ties to even wanting to be commercial in the slightest. I will never monetize this. This is for free for everyone to read. Contemporary philanthropy, folks. Love it. And all the contributors that did this with me, I mean, I was so surprised by people just signing up for it. I think that also the limited run is key. When you have a magazine that you know is getting like luxury advertising and yet they never pay their writers, that's a different story than a situation where everyone is throwing in their time and energy collectively for something that's pro bono. I mean, regardless though, I mean, editorials and and glossy fashion magazines are so rarely paid with anything substantial, you know? Ultimately, it ends up being the extremely muscular equivalent of like a LinkedIn page for anyone working in the creative (laughs) or fashion industry. Uh, I think in this case, the fact that it is uh, distributed online and there's also, you're not beholden to any advertisers who are ultimately just paying the publisher anyways. It's actually a really nice model for also the people who worked on it. Are you contributing or are you masturbating was one of my main (laughs) leads for this one. So um, objective was to contribute. But people have limited bandwidth for contributing for free. So it's a testament to the idea of this project that a lot of good people did give their time and energy to it. And then it turned out really well. And also another reason to do it, I have to add, was for my peers and and people above me to see it and maybe take some of these thoughts with them. Like a friend of mine sent it to Anna Winter via text and she opened it and that's all I needed. (laughs) (laughs) If she's going to do with it, if she's going to hate it, I'm just happy she saw it. She had to see it. It It reminds me of those, like, you know, if you go, sorry guys, I have to mention Occupy, Um, you know, there'd be like a table of like anarchist zines, like, you know, this is how to do direct action or this is how to like grow your own garden in the city or there'd be these how-to guides and um, there was one that was printed in book form called Is Politics a Banana? And like Paradigm Trilogy, it also very much used contemporary fashion codes and editorial codes to package information and it was great and it was I think it was like a 10 buck donation but it went to some good cause and it has that vibrancy to it it feel it also feels I mean it has this tacoon strategy as well of like the theory of a young girl where again you're using advertising language and advertising kind of address if you look at the original zine like publication from the 90s in French they also have like literally clipping out fashion magazine uh, illustrations I mean, that goes back to situationist right Right, exactly. It's also debord or whatever, yeah. definitely. But who, and of course, also, I mean, it's, it's part of this lineage, right? And so it's nice to see a fresh take on that. I also want to mention something that I looked at was Bernadette Corporation and what she did with her magazine. So that was a definite like influence on Paradigm Trilogy. It's very neat in USA. Totally. It's very much of this logic. But there were a lot of small magazines in the late 90s that in like a post-Adbusters way and less corny than Adbusters were trying to deter contemporary signifiers by like speaking the truth to the 90s. Like the Naomi Klein, no logo, this kind of energy applied to real publication. But with, yeah. with Paradigm Trilogy, you're able to have a very high production value, which I think helps it circulate, especially in fashion or more commercial channels. 
Exactly. And maybe I can tease the second issue a bit because I think it might be interesting for you guys too. Yeah. I'm trying to create an algorithm to replace my work in fashion because I think the way it is working right now is that I'm, I feel very similar to a factory worker in a lot of things that I'm doing, which is that they are very easy to recreate by anyone or like an algorithm that reads Instagram likes and um, Instagram profiles. So what we're doing is we're creating formulas that can replace me, stylists, musicians, and so forth to just see if we can prove that creativity can be outsourced to computers too. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) I hope I fail. (laughs) Totally non sequitur, bizarre logic is like what you kind of need to break through the the noise and and rapid fire replication right now. It might actually work perfectly. Speaking of any flirtation with actual Web3 type structures, NFTs, DAOs, Unchained Dan. That would be a business model. That would be a business model. That's true. I I, I figured I wasn't going to ask because she already said there was no attempt to monetize it. So clearly there's no (laughs) NFTs coming. No, not really. I keep that for like client stuff. Like, I mean, that's obviously something that's talked about with brands. Yeah. um, So they're asking about it. Yes. A lot of interest. Actually, you guys are something that I show almost everyone. And I'm like, these are the people you have to look at. That's very (laughs) sweet. Especially because our website. We need to add a brand tier to Patreon. If you are a brand, it's $500 a month. Right, right, right. Just one ETH a month. No, but I think that is, for me, I like things, in that sense, I'm very German. I like things that work, that scale. and And I think platforms or brands are still a great way to see things in action and make them happen pretty quickly. So I would rather use these techniques and apply them to brands than to Paradigm Trilogy. Well, we're really excited about the next issue. And if you go to ParadigmTrilogy.com. Accurate. ParadigmTrilogy.com. Perfect. Okay. Okay. On Instagram at Paradigm Trilogy. There you go. ParadigmTrilogy.com is where you will find the current issue. You can not only download a PDF, you can also stream it as an MP3. You can listen to it in pod form, audio form. I think you read it yourself, don't you? I read it myself and I'm reading the visuals too. So it was kind of like to, to, you could be blind and just listen to those and you see the images. Nice. I mean, I also appreciate that the object form of this publication is not just textual, it's also audio. It's It's also oral. Um, Right? And, you know, I think that is also indicative of just the way media works is that nobody is just a music producer, just a video producer, just a podcaster, just a writer, etc. But everybody is a polymath on some level and and everyone uses all these different streams of media to take in information but also can output via all these different streams. Yeah, it was equally about distribution as it was about the content because yeah. I think that's what's happening right now that the distribution is similarly important if not yeah. more important. Yeah. That was kind of like the close, but I have one more question though. Um, in terms of brands taking notice or more likely not taking notice of the, the concepts and ideas that you're presenting here, do you think it's a generational issue? Is it an issue of everyone sort of protecting their position and the brands being too large to move more agile? Is it about a lack of risk-taking uh, ability because of uh, diminished sales? What do you think is the problem 
problem right now? And what do you think it'll take for brands to move a little faster or be a little more forward thinking? Okay, it's a mix of all of the above. One, it's holding on to the throne. Uh, a lot of people in power don't want to change the way because they will not be part of the new way. Then I also see big corporations becoming stale when they're becoming big and especially when they go public because they have to follow the rhythm of the market and that screws them over. I want to give you something that I, it's a fresh thought that I'm having. So Mark Jacobs, Mark Jacobs, the brand died a million times already. And now he just started a new venture, which is called Heaven. And then I look at it as a startup. It's not Mark by Mark Jacobs, which was kind of a sub-brand. So he's starting a sidecar to his main venture. And I think this is an interesting way for big brands to look at how to stay agile because he makes himself look like an entrepreneur that starts a new startup, speaks to a new audience with a new price point. And that coolness reflects on his main brand. So he has a chance to come back uh, yeah. in a different way. So it's like Skunk Works um, model, but for fashion. Mm. Skunk Works is like a secret, like Google X, like where a was secret the, department the where they just do moonshot uh, experimentation. What was the first Skunk Works? Is it like at and Is it Bell Labs? I thought, or? The oh. first, I thought it was like a Lockheed Martin. Okay, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. an innovation lab in a way. In a, to a much lesser degree, like Montclair did it with the Genius Project, where you do something that is adjacent to you, reflects onto you, but doesn't touch your core business. Right, right. I think that's the way, because only in that sense you can inject energy this quickly and speak to a younger audience without, you know, redoing your stores and, and, and doing all of that. Right, it's kind um, of like getting so a Finsta for your like main account, <laughs> and then like letting it be an open secret that it's your Finsta or Fucci. something. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Fuji. <laughs> the Balenciaga Finsta. We're waiting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Urgent. <laughs> Urgent. Right. Cool. Well, cool. I, I mean, great, I feel yeah. like we talked to you for hours and hours about the broader spectrum, and in this pod, we were excited to just hear about Paradigm Trilogy and thought it was such a cool project. So hopefully, there'll be an opportunity to have you on again and to talk about, you know, some broader spectrum, fashion, marketing, retail, what's to come. But appreciate your presence in the fashion industry. Appreciate that you're bringing some of these more conceptual thoughts into practical and wider spectrum use. Um, and we're, we, we're glad we're part of your swipe. You're yeah. right, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, we're really excited also for issue two. So yeah. um, we will stay tuned. Thank you guys so much. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> See you guys hopefully in Berlin sometime. Yeah, oh, yeah. definitely. Sure. Ciao. Thank you for listening to the New Models Podcast and thank you, Katarina Corbion, for joining us. The first issue of Paradigm Trilogy is out now. Find it at ParadigmTrilogy.com. You can also follow at Paradigm Trilogy on Instagram. New Models Topsoil returns at the end of this week with a barrage of stone-cold takes. And we have another Green Room episode coming very soon with Lord of the Sounds, ADR, to talk about his recent releases of the LP Filter Failure and his collaborative work with artist Korakrit Arunandanchai. Things are heating back up, so see you on the Discord and see you next episode. This has been a New Models production. Mixing and music by low internet. To join New Models, visit patreon.com slash newmodels.